Well, welcome to another episode of LGFL's The Included Conversation, and we're delighted to welcome this time to Alice from Now Press Play. Welcome, Alice. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Let's get straight down to business. Alice, what does inclusion mean to you? This is such a it's such a wonderful question to be asked, actually, because um, I think inclusion for me is is it's a driving force behind the work that I do, and um, and I know that we'll get on to talk about that later. But what inclusion means to me is is it's about equity. It's about ensuring that all children, when they go into school, have the, the, a fair opportunity to discover their love of learning. And I think the reason that that resonates for me is because um, in my household growing up, there was me, the older sibling, who loved reading, picked up writing very easily, and was good at school. I was the bright one. Um, and and that was the the you know the story growing up. Whereas my younger brother, it turned out much later he was dyslexic. He was very fidgety and he needed to move, and so he did a lot of sports. But it meant he was not good at school and um, and thought to be um, you know he struggled and uh, and so I was seen as the bright one. He was the sporty one, and and that was the story. And of course, as we've uh, grown up it's become very clear that we have we're just as bright as each other we have different abilities but the system was designed for someone like me and it wasn't designed for him so he was shut out of a lot of opportunities and, and grew up with a sense that he wasn't clever that he couldn't achieve certain things so I think having seen that in my family um that's part of what set, has set me on a mission to to try and make school someone somewhere that all children feel like it, it's for them and that they can access the curriculum. Well, well thank you, Alice. That, that, that's a, a very, very interesting answer there. And particularly, I'm thinking about from someone that you're self-describing as confident and highly capable in terms of not just reading, but writing. How on earth does that end up with you leading a company that in theory is all about audio? Yeah, um, it's a really good question because I often think um, that, you know, really that the, the school system was, was absolutely perfect for me because I'm quite, I'm quite a sedentary person. I like to sit at a table and to read quietly on my own and to write. And um, the, the company that I co-founded, Now Press Play, we make an immersive audio resource which children listen to on wireless headphones. They hear a story which puts them into the world of their topic and they then act it out and they're moving around so they're becoming a child in ancient Egypt or in uh, Roman Britain or a, a water droplet and going through the water cycle. Um, and I do often reflect on the irony that actually for me, I would have joined in, I would have really enjoyed now per se, but it, it wouldn't have been the, the, it wouldn't have had the greatest benefit on me. However, my brother, as a, a child who really needed to move in order to think, it really would have worked for him and it would have helped him to, to have those headphones um, uh, to, to isolate that, that um, sense and to help him concentrate and focus. In, in terms of how I got to that, um, my background is, is not actually in education. My background was theatre and um, 
so the way that NAPA say came about was was me thinking about storytelling and different ways of of communicating stories um to adult audiences but to children and, and the key for that was this wireless headphone technology which I came across at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. If you've ever done a silent disco, um, you'll have come across that that kind of technology. And and I thought about that as a way of, of communicating a story and having a, a story that that the listener could be involved in, could be physically involved in. And I took that idea to a friend of mine from university, um, you know, another uh, academic read-write type. And, and he's a teacher and he said immediately, we should try this for children and we should see whether we can teach through through this method, whether we can impart information. So, you know, we, we've had a funny start. We didn't start with the problem in education. We started with the solution, really. And we took that into schools and we allowed teachers to then tell us what the problems were that it was that it was solving. So, so what you emphasise there is the difference between text and audio. But for me, actually, um, what you're, you're actually talking about is the convergence. So one of the things we have in education, whether it's in stories or not, is narrative. No, mm. no matter what we're doing, when we're teaching, we're building a narrative. We're, we're this here. You know, we have a starting point, a finishing point, and, and all the time building. Um, and that's happening in our heads. And, and whether it's happening in our heads because we're, we're hearing it and then it's happening in our heads, or whether we're taking off a page... You know, and it, by a text, it's still happening in our heads. So, what what's common in what you're describing is that process is actually a process of narrative that it, that, that we are then processing in our heads, no matter how what the uh, the input then becomes. If that makes sense, it does absolutely, and and it's an it's a it's an interesting thing for us because we don't provide. Um, Text. This is a story that's happening in the children's imagination. So the same, you're right. The same processes that that uh, happens when you're reading in terms of the imagination being stimulated is happening. But I think what makes it then inclusive is the fact that there isn't that there aren't those barriers that children normally have uh, with reading, um, whether that be because of how they're processing. It's just a much more um, accessible way for for children to experience a story, which of course can then be scaffolding it into into reading a text um but uh yeah it's a different way into a story so if i can before we go on i'm quite interested in unpicking your personal experience which is really it sounds like there was an inspiration moment a light bulb moment when you're at the edinburgh mm. festival and you you saw the silent disco and we haven't really explained what that is if if no one's experienced that um, but uh, I'm interested in that transplant of being inspired to think, oh, hang on, that's got a role in education. But what was in your mind? And I know that you've said it's, it's kind of that slightly dubious thing of coming up with a solution to a problem you haven't yet defined. But what was mm -hmm. in your mind as to why you thought that could have a role in education? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the inclusion aspect as well. Yeah, Um well, there were there were a couple of things. One one was this incredible experience, and perhaps I can explain what a silent disco is. So it, the idea is you you might experience this at a wedding or a club or um, a place that people would normally be listening to music and dancing. And instead of that music coming out of speakers, it's coming out of wireless headphones, which um, you get given at the beginning. Everybody has a different pair of wireless headphones, 
and there are sometimes different channels so you can choose what you listen to and the experience is is, is extraordinary because you are part of the group and yet you're you're kind of in your own world and it really helps with self-consciousness because you can lose yourself in the, in the music and there's also this amazing thing which um is a real benefit for those who who don't like loud places you can take the headphones off and you can then have a conversation with someone so immediately when we started think, thinking about taking this into school um you know, my background was theatre, so I was very passionate about drama and role play in schools. And obviously a big, big uh, barrier to that can be self-consciousness. So immediately having those headphones puts children in their own world. It reduces those levels of self-consciousness. And then crucially, and I think this is where headphones can have a huge role to play in, in classrooms and school settings, is it all of that verbal disruption that you normally get in schools becomes irrelevant because children can't hear each other um, and obviously that's not a situation that you want all of the time um, but for focused activities it, it's incredibly powerful the fact that of course there will be children who respond verbally and we see that a lot when they're taking part in our experiences but that and that's fine that's fine for them to do that because it's not distracting the other children because they they have those those headphones on um, and then I suppose the other thing was uh, iPod technology. This was around 2010. It was becoming a big thing. And, um, you know, I felt like I was having some of my sort of most profound moments listening to incredible music whilst, you know, wandering around London. And I think, um, you know, as, as adults, obviously audio and podcasts and headphone technology has, has come on a huge way. There's been a massive resurgence of that. And it really struck me that the, the power of that had had a role to play in education. So uh, this is very interesting, this, because um, I think what we're beginning to talk about is managed audio mm. in an education context. And of course, technology and the advances of technology have great potential scope and capability already. And who knows what the, the future holds in this regard. But what's really interesting and actually quite refreshing is that you've your exemplification has first gone to learner perspective rather than mm -hmm. and I hear a lot of teacher perspective first and often it can dominate in the use of technology but learner perspective your first exemplification was about the control the learner has and on on your platform for example in the context of your product you the the learner has got control as to pressing now press play how about that they they press play or they stop or they take the headphones off and <clears throat> that's interesting can can we just have a think about this about managed audio from a teacher's point of view mm. and from the learner's point of view what's the difference between the two and and is it significant mm. um well I, I suppose the thing to say is that um you know what the what we provide is an is a is a story uh, which has got sound and and uh, and music and is is meant to be um, you know it's, there's meant to be movement children moving around and our stories do tend to run you know from beginning to to end um, without being stopped um, and I suppose the the child's 
um, ownership of that experience comes in their imagination, the fact that they get to choose what everything looks like and they get to choose how they move their body, how they crawl under a rock or um, or jump over something. So there's, a, there's an element of, of um, options there. Interestingly, when when I see it in mainstream school, which is which is certainly what the experiences are designed for, children often flock together and, and move in the same way and move in similar ways. Um, some will be more expressive, some some less so. Um, but where you really see that individual approach is in a in an SEM setting. There you might have children who choose not to move at all. They're just going to sit and they're going to listen to the story, which is a completely valid response, whereas you'll have others who, who move in their own way. I think from the from the teacher's perspective, there's something wonderful about this, this concept of managed audio because it doesn't have to be led by the teacher. And what we've heard from a lot of teachers is some will like to get involved, but others choose to stand back and to observe their class, which is a really rare experience. Um, and we've had uh, teachers say to us, you know, by watching how the children responded in that particular moment, I can see that child is struggling with that particular issue, for instance, our PSHE. Um, experiences and then of course they also have that centralized control where they can choose and um, we have teachers who do this they can choose to stop the story at a particular point and perhaps then have a discussion with their children. Thank you Alice. Carol? When I knew we were going to do this one I went off to some people who I know use um, your product and other similar products uh, a lot and one of the things is exactly what you said that um, people work very rarely um, unless you do a set task which is done in silence right so if you think of a high school where there's a set essay or a test an examination you walk up and down and you can kind of see how people handwrite or their position on a desk or whether they're stuck or you know you can they can do that kind of assessment but what people were explaining to me with, with Now Press Play is that they, they it opened up assessment possibilities that they hadn't had before. Um, mm -hmm. Because it, it could be, for example, uh, depending on what they chose, they could do almost a, a kind of gross motor assessment. Can they jump? Can they crawl? Can they, you know, they could check something like that. <clears throat> Um, but it was more interesting, the kind of things that you've, you've suggested there, the way of approaching things, the ones who want to do it all on their own, the ones who need to be with their best friend, the ones who kind of instinctively gravitate to a group. So for social emotional assessment in education, um, this particular teacher was very, very positive about that. So it's really interesting that the the nature of the lesson in this lesson in this term or activity or task or whatever you want to call it offers the a different teacher perspective to some extent and i like that mm. I, yeah i think that that's absolutely right and um it's obviously it's a very it's a very difficult thing to do to uh, allow your class to to have that kind of autonomy where really they're, they're you know, they're, it's, you know, it's, 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 it would be a very difficult thing to replicate, I think, without the headphones and without that, that, that story. But it, I think it can be extremely useful for teachers to have that, that, yeah, that new perspective um, and to be able to, 
to see how children respond. And what we often hear is that the children who, and I'm sure you can imagine this, the children who really get absorbed by the story and who are fully, fully immersed are those that that normally struggle in the classroom. You know, when we used to, we used to go in schools and run it ourselves, and often what would happen is it was the child who'd received a warning on the way in, if you don't behave, so and so, I'm going to take you out of the lesson. It's often that child who was who was completely engrossed in it. And you know, at that point you realise this this classroom dynamic that we have where where to be able to sit still is is a big part of um of being seen to behave well and being able to access learning is you know that that's a barrier for that child which then once you remove it and you give them the opportunity to move and to listen and, and to focus suddenly they really can't come into their own Oh, right. Well, I'll just do a quick follow up. And that was, I, I don't know, Alice uh, and Bob, probably, I'm sure you have, John, have looked at the work of Professor Sugata Mitra, who was, um, he, he's a real innovator in exactly what you're describing, but not through audio. So he's the man behind the Hole in the Wall project that inspired um, Slumdog Millionaire film. Um, and his, uh, I, I did a, some, some work with him and his theory is exactly kind of what you've just said there, that if we as teachers step back from the children and if we remove the rules that say you have to sit still at all times, you can't copy someone else's work, you can work in, a, you, you have to work in a two, there's no threes, there's no four, whatever, the rules, that, the parameters we put. He says children can solve anything. That's his his theory. Mm. Um, we, uh, I've, I've seen some amazing work working with him. But it was so interesting there for you, Alice, then to give me, if you like, his dynamic. But instead of um, but from kind of just using a hearing perspective, whereas obviously he uses, you know, he sets them a challenge and they can use anything they want to, to sort it out. So. It might, if you haven't looked at his work, uh, anybody listening and, and Alice and, and mm. so on, be well worth following up Sugata Mitra's work because it echoes the, it, this, this, well, your work echoes his work so nicely. Thank you. Yeah, and I'll certainly look into that. Thank you. Um, so, so the tangent I was going to go off on um, was that, you know, I, I accept uh, you know that the, the approach is improves accessibility in some sense, in that it makes the content more accessible. But there are kids who actually is going to be very inaccessible because they're deaf or hearing impaired. So, uh, what advice do you provide on including them in the now press press play sessions? Yeah, absolutely, and and of course, you know, the, the, the now press play is a, is a, is in inclusion is a, is our mission. So, of course immediately you're thinking about those children who who are um hearing impaired and and we and then what we tend to do is work with the SDN coordinators and, and there are a variety of things that we can try sometimes uh children will be able to wear their headphones over their hearing aids um or sometimes we've seen them take the hearing aids out the other thing that we can provide is a is a splitter so you can actually use our so we have a transmitter and you can connect that transmitter directly to cochlear implants or to to loop systems as well um so in the main we do manage to be creative and to work around but of course you know for children who who really have no hearing at all it it has been challenging and we've had 
I think this is where the, the kind of the multi, the, well, multi-sensory um, nature of, of the experience of that, but it is audio, but it's also story and movement helps. So we've seen in some schools, um, uh, there are sign language interpreters who will sign the story to that child so that they are then able to receive those instructions and to follow follow it out. Obviously, they're having a, a different experience and it, it's not um it's not ideal. It's not the experience that the other children are having, um, but that that's the solution that we've come to in those those experiences. Yeah. So, if if I could move the the conversation on now to think about content itself, mm. and obviously, in particularly in the context of audio, and I, and I've been thinking of an example because I've been involved in lots of content creation at LGFL of how I've used audio, particularly in the context of the video work that I do, and a particular example uh, from Space Adventures that we mm. produced, which was this journey of a fictitious astronaut that went to space, had problems, and you, you have the whole story arc and various things happen and what have you. And at the time, we tried to make that the most inclusive resource we'd ever done on LGFL. And I remember that I, I had a simple idea about a, a single headshot, a bit, I'd watched too much Iron Man and The Martian and those types of films that had inspired me. But I thought, mm. why don't we film the whole narrative just on a headshot? And then, so I did that with an actress, she was fantastic. And I really, really encouraged her to put emotion into her performance. And if you were in the room when you're filming, it felt like I, I really egged her on to be really, really dramatic. But when it came out on video, it didn't quite have the same drama as if you, that kind of energy when you're in the room, but it was still captured. And then I overlaid special effects. But the thing I remember about doing that production work was the audio that I added in and the transformational impact of putting sound effects and music and what that did to the content. And I frame that today in the context of the impact for learners and inevitably the inclusive elements of that. And I always remember soon after we launched that, I had a teacher say to me, when I first looked at Space Adventures, I thought, I, I thought it looked interesting, but I also thought it was a bit cheesy. I took that on the chin, yeah. And he said, but when I started to go through the topic with the children, they absolutely were hooked after that first clip of the launch, which I didn't put too much sound effects in. But when it goes wrong in the story, I sat at home on my really nice video edit system with really big speakers and I absolutely went for it. And I, I suppose I need to bring that up now on the recording so listeners can hear what I'm talking about. But it was, I felt it was quite wild. I'd mm. really, really cranked it to make it really, really impactful. Oh, the, the ship's starting to shake. Impact collision now estimated in 20 seconds. There's fire, it's turning green, something is turning green. 10 seconds. Closing rate 50 feet per second. See things the the, the, the it's ten nine. I really should have paid attention in class more. Eight. There must be something we can do, Mike. Seven. The, more fuel is that what we need? Do we need more fuel? Six. Well, how are we gonna get home? We have to get home. 
five, four, three, four, make it jump! But just from your point of view, does that resonate? Do, do you, mm -hmm. what, what is it in terms of how you produce audio and what's the inclusive aspect about the choices you make editorially and creatively about the audio that you produce and how does it relate to inclusion? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just uh, <laughs> thinking through that, that huge question. Um, I think what what we're able to do with with sound and with the sound designers and musicians that that we work with these are people who who are in their other lives other roles are making they're making film for uh, sorry sound for films so these are real you know top class professional um, people and it's the sound and the music that is the transportive immersive element that that's a bit you know a story is all very well but when you add that second layer as you've said of of sound that's the thing that makes that makes the children feel like they're there and that's what we hear from children they say I felt like I was actually in World War II there's a transportive element which I don't I think actually is more powerful in sound than it is in visuals you know we had a, a, a child say to us once um she was referring to um, an ancient Egypt experience. And at the end, she said, how did you make the smell of dust happen? And we had to explain to her that that wasn't us. That was you. That was your imagination. And obviously, all she's got to go on, really, is sound and story. That, that, so those building blocks then are giving her that immersive experience. And we've also had children who, who when we ask them about others, they talk about the film, the film. And we have to remind them, all those visuals that you saw, those were yours. We didn't supply those, but that was your, you know, and we refer to them as experiences because we provide sound and music and story. And then it's the children who who create it into an experience themselves. So certainly it, it resonates. And just from a practical point of view, obviously school budgets are, are not huge. And um, so it, it it's not practical, I don't think, at the moment for highly immersive visual content to go into schools. And um, but sound is much much cheaper to produce, and and I would argue more more effective. So, you know, I, I'm I'm really proud of the fact that we're able to put this, you know, really really top top class music and sound into schools and I think you know the, the quality of it is such a huge part of the of the benefit that then has for children and, and I want to pick up on on that but Carol first I just it's a very practical one it's really to Alice and also Bob when you did the space thing it just occurred to me the element of surprise um because the kids really do immerse into these experiences do you have to be careful in your narrative about, for example, suddenly blowing up the spaceship or, you know, um, mm. something? Do you, because I could imagine that could be really quite frightening for a child yeah. who's in the moment. And if you think of our little ones, particularly our little ones, um, in the way they, they immerse so easily into any story you read, they fall in love with their teacher, et cetera. Mm. But um, they've also got very, uh immature responses and um 
sometimes the inability to, to as you said you know it is the brain being clever when it smells and it sees mm -hmm. but it is also the brain trying to coordinate and and make sense of the sensory input it's getting so do you have to be careful about kind mm -hmm. of surprises or do you have to yeah. put into the narrative i think the volcano might blow or something do you how yeah. do you do it yeah that's very, very interesting. And, and it's certainly been something that we've learned about over the years as I've been a site and a you know, trial and error. How, how far can you take something? And, and do we need to worry about frightening children? You know, um, because, uh, you know, of course, as soon as that, that, that is stimulated, they're not going to be taking in anything at all. So it's, it's counter, counterproductive. What I would say is that the headphones do, do two things. Um, one is they put them into um, a world so they are that much more vulnerable I suppose because they are immersed but it also means and this is something that we say to the children is that it, it provides a really quick escape route so yeah. if something is ever too much yeah. they can take, take the off. headphones yeah. off exactly yeah. um, so that is something that we talk to the children about um, I think there is also something, I mean, if you've seen our headphones, you'll know that they're pink. Um, it is, there's a novelty aspect that it, it is fun. And in a way, what we're trying to do in our experiences and our, and our stories is, is to almost fight against that because it would be very, very easy for this to be a fun session, you know, quite frivolous, bit of moving around and not really a learning experience. Actually, in a way, we almost have to do the opposite is to create really emotionally um intense experiences so that the children connect with it and so that they get the learning having said that i think there's also you know there's another sort of safety feature in that the visuals are their own they are at the end of the day in their classroom or their school or their school hall and they can see that and they can see the other people they can see their teachers so again you know as opposed to i suppose vr where they are fully you know fully immersed visually and uh hourly that there's an element of control there the fact that they they they're using their imagination we have more recently started to put uh the word um trigger warnings on certain um experiences and that has been prompted more recently by um there being um, you know, Ukrainian refugees and yes. some of the schools that we work with. So yes. certainly, any kind of startling sounds uh, are are labelled and and, and pre-warned. So um, yeah, it's, it's certainly something that we that we have to think about. Thank you. Thank you. So this is really interesting because it's a it's a different kind of perspective on the concept of managed audio in an educational mm. settings, and this is about editorial decisions. Yeah. On, on production and if I may just <clears throat> keep going with the space adventures example mm. here <laughs> I remember uh, when we were about to launch it I created two trailers for the resource I was really going for it on the cinematic approach and I, with the teaching and learning advisory group that I chair I proudly played these two trailers to the group and uh, the first one was the bombastic. I was trying to make it like you were at the cinema and the trailer had come on. So really exciting, mm -hmm. action-packed audio. And just as an aside, there's a brilliant podcast called 20,000 Hertz, if you're really into audio. 
and there's an episode called the bouge and that's that whole deep bass dip sound that you get in modern trailers that's mm. become a cliche and it's all about impact and I played it I played it and I tried to make it as bombastic as possible you know it's interesting Carol you, you know the caution over being like that but I thought no let's have a bombastic engaging people go wow what's that I'd like to know more a little bit of a pin drop silence after it finished in this formal board meeting kind of thing and I went right okay oh, oh well yeah Bob yeah that looks exciting kind of thing I said well how about this one and actually the second trailer totally different it was a, a poem that had been written by the author that I would describe as a kind of lament from the astronaut looking back down into space and when I was producing it, when I saw that and when I created a piece of video where I created a porthole for the astronaut to look down into, I took, because I'm into music composition and there's a lot of Bob's music in LGFL content, whether people realise that or not. I'm not trying to claim that I'm a very good composer, but it's one of the few times in my life I turned to my synthesizer and I just was inspired and played a very simple piano, what I would call lament. And it's very, very simple, and I'll cut it into this recording now so that listeners can hear. This is Taz. Can anyone hear me? Is anyone there? I'm just going to compose this anyway. This is my letter to the world. Mum, Dad, and my dear friend Ed. I don't think I'll ever know what hit us. But I want you to know that I have had the best time on this mission. Up here, the training, Ed. Promise me. Promise me you'll believe anything is possible. Puzzle. You really have changed my life. You're so warm. Um, when I'm home, I'll take you out in the hills again. I promise. If I just, I could put the maths, and then I could put the, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I'm coming home. And the response from the group, I always remember really, really was so different. And they said, that's a much better trailer, Bob. And I mm. thought, how can that be? It's so simple. It's someone reading a poem and I've put a really simple piece of music behind. But that for me is at the core of what we're talking about today, which is what is the role of audio? And what mm. um, and how can we as teachers use it to powerfully engage and represent feelings or content that we want the learners to to learn? But also, what's the response? And also, as a really extrapolating this, how much do we facilitate or validate learners creating their own audio responses to what? teachers are asking them to do and that's very much to do with the project we're doing with universal design for learning 
at the moment. But if I just go to Carol now. Well, you've asked the question I was about to ask um, it, it, slightly differently, but you mentioned, Alice, when we were initially talking, that in addition to using your uh, product as it has been designed at, with the stuff that you carefully create, that people have found other creative ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. And that um, in uh, uh, without they must be creating their own content as well you must be absolutely that. yeah yeah we are and it is one of it's one of the most gratifying things that 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 we see and and there are two elements to that one is teachers creating their own uh, bits of ma managed audio for the children so suddenly they've they've been given this technology the wireless headphones and an example of managed audio and they're then you know, we've had teachers playing a character in a in a book and and um, being uh, and doing a monologue, which is obviously, you know, and I think this is really important a, a creative outlet for them as teachers and a different way to engage their children. And then also, we've had um, many examples of children writing their own um, their own stories, whether that be an audio story or whether they want to create. Um, a kind of now press play a sort of movement based story as well and you know that that is a, it's a wonderful form of expression and because they've seen you know we've had we've had schools where older children the year six children will create an experience for the year twos about transitioning yeah. into key stage two um so that then becomes you know, it, it's not just something that they're passively receiving, they're then able to create. And, I, and that, I think, is is really exciting. The fact that audio recording technology is now so easy and so accessible. It's on, you can do it on an iPad, you can do it on a phone. Um, and I'm really hoping that we're going to see um, see that becoming more and more common. And of course, we're an interesting, um, we have an interesting quandary at, at, at Now Press Play, which is that the ideal situation for us is would be that this technology existed already in schools that all schools along with their ipads and their laptops had wireless headphones you know just one set that the, that the whole school could use but that technology on the whole isn't there so we have to to you know both produce the tv programs and provide the tv as it were we're, we're providing the headphones and the content um and of course a big part of that is then getting schools to be really creative about what else can you do with these headphones you know so we've seen schools playing music to their children whilst they're writing or perhaps doing an art lesson um, and that can be wonderful because you can have an option of choice there children can choose not to wear the headphones they can wear them and listen to music or they can just wear the headphones and not listen to anything at all so that really works for, for um, uh, different needs that children have We've seen them use the meditation. We've seen them use um, for um, guided exercise lessons, um, audio books, of course, that's an obvious one, and reading alongside as well. Um, and then, you know, we also provide a microphone so that teachers can talk to um, to the children through the headphones. And again, that I think is really interesting because um, it's that it, it makes sounds that that much more accessible and and again all that verbal disruption that you normally get in a classroom yeah goes and you potentially have a much more focused quiet learning environment so I think there's the huge you know beyond what we do there's so much potential 
um, and having these these kind of headphones and stuff. You'd be able to do. I mean, you, everything we've talked about is really, really creative as it should be. Mm. But you can also take some of the. I don't want to use the word boring because that's very judgmental, but things like the weekly spelling test, you could do secret mm-hmm. spy spellings through the headphones and things. So you could take, if you like, the functional stuff that the teachers have to do and yeah. pass it up by yeah. you know, coming a different way. You know, you're t- the, the, oh, my head's now flying, guys. My head's full of ideas now. Absolutely. And it's the kind of thing, it, it, it doesn't need much prompting. You no. know, it's just, no. we present it to teachers and immediately, exactly like you, Carol, they have 101 ideas of what, of oh. what they could do. Yeah. So, so one of the reasons why we were so keen to feature you as an episode is that I, I, I think your product is really important in the marketplace from the point of view of elevating the mm-hmm. concept of the role that audio plays in everyday teaching and learning. And I have seen plenty of primary schools that, that have invested in really pretty cheap headphones, mm-hmm. but they've done that to ensure that every child has got that facility. And I'm thinking of one-to-one schools with devices on a one-to-one basis, but they've invested in, in the headphones as well as the one-to-one devices because they recognize the important role of sound here. And, mm-hmm. and there is a broader discussion, and I must not go off at too much of a tangent here about the advancement of technology in terms of audio. But I think what we have to acknowledge as a profession is that, you know, the mobile phones that that young people seem to, to virtually all have and use for massive amounts of the day, it's increasingly common that they're matched with, you know, actually really high quality wireless earphones. And, you know, there's that long haul flight concept of getting into school, sit down, stay in your place, switch all your technology off, which is a bit of a shame mm-hmm. when people have got so much good technology. But if I could make a, 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 an additional point here, and I would hope this is helpful for listeners to reflect on. I'm not I'm not advocating that schools have got to find money to invest in really expensive audio equipment in their classrooms. However, if we are seriously contemplating the powerful, positive role and impactful role and inclusive role of audio, what is the technology that we have in our classrooms? And OK, I'm really into audio and I've got some really good audio technology at home and headphones and, and that kind of thing. But I do get very frustrated when I'm in a classroom and I'm watching a teacher work with particularly video because that seems to be much more of a default than just working with audio. But a teacher's doing an, an amazing lesson and they're, they've got integrated video and they press play and you have terrible sound quality that comes out of a, a increasingly flat TVs on, on the wall, which you know the physics suggest it's difficult to get the full bandwidth of sound. And you know if we're talking about inclusion and hard of hearing and that kind of thing, This is difficult. Now, there are ways we can augment with subtitling and that kind of thing. But, and there'll be a wry smile maybe from some people with what I'm about to say. Would you be surprised to hear that in my classroom 20 years ago, I had a subwoofer and four speakers in each corner of the room? And that isn't just Bob being indulgent. It's because I knew the impact of sound. And I remember Mm -hmm. a particular GCSE lesson and yeah, my classes were used to this kind of thing. But the start of the lesson, they came in and I was playing on a computer model of a Spitfire over London. 
and it was cranked, the sound. Now think about that at the start of a lesson, pretty engaging and lots to think about, but that visceral deep bass. And of course, whenever I played a video in my class, there was no question of people not being able to hear it. And I'm not mm. just talking about volume, I'm talking about quality of sound and therefore its impact. So it's a bit of a plea really, when, when we're fitting out classrooms, do we give enough thought to that audio element to it? Because the child sat at the back, probably can't hear very well, but maybe not, might not be saying anything. But also it's that emotional response as well that we can heighten with responsibility, Carol, of course, we can heighten that emotional engagement and impact if the audio is good. Absolutely. And I, I would add further to that. I mean, obviously, I, I'm banging the drum for, for headphones, which is that, that because I think that in a classroom setting has the added benefit of giving the child an individual, well, a sense. Um, it's not a reality, but it's a sense that they are being spoken to individually. And I think that when when all of our learning really happens in big groups, which is for practical reasons, it's not because it's the best way to teach. Um, I think that can be incredibly powerful, and it's something that you can only really that well, that, yeah, that you can only do through through audio. So, just bringing this to a close, what what does the future hold, or any advice, Alice, you've got for our listeners about the role of audio, or any mm. practical suggestions of even if they don't have your product, some kind of moving in the direction of integrating audio more effectively into their daily practice and learners' yeah. you know, expression of their own understanding. Mm. Well, I I would invite. Um, I, I would invite listeners to just think about incredibly simple audio tools, which are probably already at their disposal. So I'm sure lots of schools already use audio books. A lot of schools probably already have headphones. You know, we advocate for wireless ones because it means that children can move, but they don't have, you know, audio can just be done that, that still. Um, so audio books, thinking about, as you said, sound experiences. So inviting children to close their eyes and you know, perhaps just over those speakers playing the sound of a steam train taking off or a spaceship and, and using that as a hook into writing or as a stimulus into writing. Music as well, very simply in the classroom, the way that that can help um, uh, focus children as well. Um, and and meditation as well. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of that and that tends to be very much um, sound-based as well. And, and, and then also realising how easy it is to either get children to record themselves, to listen back to, or, or for teachers to do that as well. So much of this technology is already available. It's already on the iPads that people own or the phones. Um, it's, it's there and, and it's, um, it's inexpensive. It's um, incredibly efficient and powerful when it's delivered to the children. Um, and it's also pretty rare. I mean, children, we're such a visual culture. We are so overly visually stimulated all of the time, both in school and in the wider world. And actually, audio becomes increasingly powerful because of that. When you strip away the visuals, you get children to close their eyes. It's, it's an incredibly powerful and simple tool. 
I, I just, I, I know we're coming to an end, but I want, uh, thank you, Alice. I've, I've actually drafted out a little mini project I want to try um, based on audio and self-regulation, um, okay. you know, which is, it, I, I've had the most fascinating hour. Um, mm. It's an area like John, we, we work constantly, um, both of us, on multi-sensory education and different routes to the brain. Um, and there are some children, um, for, for example, most notably those with cortical visual impairment, where the visual stimulus going to the brain, the, the, the computer bit of the brain, the, the visual center, is confused by the signals it gets. So you often find these children will shut their eyes or they'll put their head down and then mm -hmm. they, they make audio their preferred channel. But then if mm -hmm. we gave them headphones, which I'd never, I mean, I have to say until this morning, never thought of doing, sure there are people mm -hmm. doing it and, and you can shout at me, I'm maybe slow to the table, but for that particular group, um, but I've learned so much and I'm, and it's really got me thinking. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed my hour with you, Alice. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful questions. Yeah. And, and I just want to, so one of the things um, that really prompted my thinking was one of the things you, you said almost last was this notion of it being very personal. So, so what I get from it mm -hmm. is they're learning alone together. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. That's oh, it. That's we, lovely, John. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and the together is important. You know, that yeah. is important. Yeah. 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 But but the other bit of it for me was also going back to this thing about multi-sensory and isolating that sense. But in, in, in fact, what I'd be interested in is looking at, say, something like um, helping children to understand, say, memory. So, for instance... Ooh. You know, if you took, uh, you're probably familiar with the idea of the memory palace, which Sherlock Holmes used to use, the idea mm. of you have a space and you park ideas in that space and you go back to that space. So by using that audio, you could perhaps do spellings and you, you, you know, here's your box for this set of spellings, spelling them out, put them in the box. And then in your head, you go and you open the box and you take the spellings out and you think of them or the facts or the dates or whatever it is. Yep. Um, so oh. yeah, I'd be very interested in, in exploring that aspect of it. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's it. Once you once you take away the visual and you're just in the sphere of the audio, suddenly that imaginative space just opens up. There isn't a barrier. It's it's there, and you're yeah, you're able to use it in, in those ways. I mean, something that that would be really interesting for that, and if we're talking about a memory palace, is. Um, this concept of binaural sound so where you can if it if as the listener still you can then locate sounds in in particular places i mean we're moving on to sort of the next level of technology but that i mean i think that there's lots of potential there wow. yeah absolutely and i would refer listeners to the episode with uh, phil birchnall from discovery education where we talked about augmented reality and virtual reality and immersive approaches to education and the role of binaural sound um uh, but but alice i think you've you've um, ended us in a really uh, important and facilitating place which i completely agree with which is make the most of what you already have uh, it was the major number one finding from the edtech demonstrator program that LGFL led in the first year of, of the pandemic, where we had a group of expert schools that were helping any schools that applied to the project. And time after time after time, those expert schools said, you know, we just help the schools make use of what they already have. And it's a fantastically facilitating 
place to end. So Alice, thank you so much for this morning. It's been really, really stimulating. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.